Hi, I'm Michael Laron, author of Be a Writing Machine and Mental Models for Writers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hey everyone, this is Jean Entertainment. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And what you just heard at the beginning of the show is our new music, courtesy of the full band duo McCarty. You can find links to their YouTube channel in the show notes. Before we get into this episode's interview, I do want to mention an anthology that I had the honor of taking part of. Uh, my new science fiction comedy short story can be found in the anthology Like Sunshine After Rain. We'll put a link to the cover reveal page, which has more information and pre-order links if you're interested. The book is packed with short stories, poems, and essays. And the cover looks amazing. And the proceeds benefit the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is a great cause to support. And I know I might be a bit biased, but I thought it was a very brilliant sci-fi comedy short story. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what people think. So I want to thank Heidi Ruby Miller for editing and organizing the anthology. Mm-hmm. We actually plan to have her on the show in the near future. Now, today's episode was a lot of fun to record. We're chatting with authors and podcasters Kate W. Taylor and Carrie Gessner. We talk about their podcast, Positively Pop Culture, our love of popular fiction, writing fantasy and science fiction, when to choose indie or traditional publishing paths, tips on how to query publishers and agents, handling rejection... Not so fun. (laughs) Tips for publishing indie books, the benefits of writers playing role-playing games, and more. Lots of great stuff. And we're both guests on their podcast recently, too. Yes. Part one is out. We'll include a link in the show notes. Part two should be out very soon. Now let's get to the interview with Carrie Gessner and K.W. Taylor. Well, hi, Carrie and Kathleen. Welcome to Genretainment. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Well, you two are the co-hosts of Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture Podcast. Is it called Pause Pop? Because that's cool. Yes. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about that uh, podcast and a little bit about yourselves? Introduce yourselves a little bit to our audience. Okay, sure, I'll let. Go. Oh, I was oh. going to let you go first. <laughs> go On ahead. three. <laughs> we'll both talk at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Carrie Gessner. I... We all went, well, not all of us, but KW and I both went to Seton Hill, like Marks, which is where we met. And so we both have, also both have MFAs. And I write mostly science fiction and fantasy, mostly fantasy. And I think that I sort of wanted to start a podcast. And then I was like, hey, Kathleen, do you want to start a podcast with me? And she said yes. And I <laughs> And we've been going strong for like a year and a half now, so it's a lot of fun. We try, we just try to talk about any any sort of pop culture stuff that we're digging, and we try to, you know, only talk about the things that we really like. Obviously, they're not there are aspects of some things we don't like, but we try to be mostly positive. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm Katie Taylor, and I write mostly 
um, science fiction, fantasy, and I write some horror as well. And I distinctly remember that Carrie came up with the idea for this podcast at Pulp Fest, which was a convention in Pittsburgh um, for pulp fiction. And we were sharing a sales table and we were like, yeah, that sounds great. And we workshopped it that weekend. And Mm -hmm. I think we were recording either that next month or very shortly thereafter. That's neat. That is a really good origin story. I, I, I'm sorry, but like at the at the Pulp Fiction convention, that's neat. I like, yeah. the, I like the name Pause Pop. Yeah. So how'd you decide on that name? Combo Ooh. name. We okay. we had to workshop it for a, a bit. Yeah. Um, we I I think we sort of had a Google Doc and we were putting ideas in there, and there were some Kathleen's husband Tom would nix a few. Yeah. <laughs> He was our beta tester. Yeah. I think, I think at first we tried to call it like spec thick podcast and he didn't, he really didn't like that or something. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we ended up. Ours was just Mark's. uh, I feel lazy. Ours was Mark's goes, I got this great idea. How about genre tainment? I go, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's easy though. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are like way better at this. No, 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 no. I think another another problem was a lot of good names were already taken. Um, and we definitely wanted to emphasize that it was all different kinds of pop culture. Because we, we do discuss books, TV, music, games, um, video games and board games. And we also sometimes just talk about sort of concepts. Like, I remember we've had multiple segments on like hiking and stuff. Which is yeah. <laughs> anything, we, anything we enjoy. Yeah, one time KW was like, I want to talk about the rhizomatic approach to, to finding new music. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but sure. <laughs> you start off and I'll try to follow. <laughs> we do mostly discuss things a little bit uncritically. I mean, we'll get into like some some more like scholarly interpretations of stuff, but it ha- it has to be something that we like and that we're not feeling ashamed for liking and occasionally it's been a case where we plan a segment and then we get more into the thing and we find out we don't actually enjoy it that much anymore so we've had to either switch gears or like say well we were liking it in the beginning but we don't like it so much anymore so that's been a challenge out of it while you're covering it (laughs) kind of yeah but but again like if if we consume something like if we go see a movie or read a book and we we I'm always personally thinking about, is this going to be a good segment for the show? But then if I don't end up liking it, I just don't even propose it because right. it's all about what we like. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I like that aspect because we talked about Marks and I have always watch Supernatural, but Supernatural fans are so loyal, but they're also known for complaining a lot. <laughs> and, and they even did that in a meta episode. They were like, someone wrote books called Supernatural about these guys. And they were like, yeah, there's all these fans online. He goes, but for fans, they sure do complain a lot. And they actually put that in the show, you know. <laughs> they complain because they love. They love, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. like, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy getting online and, and following some of the fan stuff because it was so negative so often. It's like, are you sure you like this? Like, why are yeah. you complaining oh, so much? That reminds me of when I was at Dragon Con, there's a panel uh, with some of the cast from Star Trek Discovery in season one. And, hmm. you know, it was that show when it started, it was very controversial with Star Trek fans. And so, and there, and I noticed there wasn't a lot of people in there compared to some of the other Star Trek ones. 
and they're very negative about the questions. <laughs> and uh, and then the guy who plays the main captain in season one was just like, so do you guys like Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> It was funny. It was hilarious. Um, that's a show that, you know, it was rough for us, but uh, season three was amazing. It was a yeah, little so. rougher, and I don't know, first season, and then it got good later in the first season. The second floundered a little bit. Third season is one of the greatest things ever. Um, yeah. That's, that's not the first show. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow started out as one of the worst Ooh. shows I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Until the third, was it third or fourth season? It's third. Yeah. Third. It was brilliant. For me third, too. It's absolutely brilliant because they finally figured out, okay, don't take ourselves seriously. Be ridiculous. <laughs> go with it. And it works. Yeah. The first yeah. two seasons were miserable. I was like, I'm not watching this show. It's horrible. <laughs> and then and it's like, so hard. the third season's great. Yeah, it's so hard to get people into it, too, because I'm like, you, this show is amazing, but not until season three. Right. So Just don't watch the first two. Just start on three, you know? Just yeah. I'll fill in the background for you if you just start on season yes, three. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just love the stuff they do in Legends but there's, tomorrow. Yeah, but there's been a lot of shows that I'm always like, ignore the pilot. It's not as good. So if you get through the pilot episode, starting with episode, that happens a lot too because they make pilots mm-hmm. and they make them like a year in advance and things are different. Yeah. And then they make mm-hmm. changes, you know, so. Not as much anymore. I, That's changed a little bit. Yeah, but yeah it's changed used to some. Be dramatic. We used, to, we used to have a recurring segment, we haven't done it in a long time, where we would go back and either watch or rewatch a pilot of an older show. And often it's a case of, okay, based on this pilot, would you keep watching it? And I don't know, how, have we actually kept watching anything that we did that way? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I don't That's think a so. brilliant idea. I love that. Because you forget yeah. how much something changes when you've been watching it a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I kept watching Community. I did a Community rewatch after we oh, watched right. it. But the, the pilot was awful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it I just... think you're, you're more forgiving. So <laughs> most of the time I'm like, no, I really didn't like that. I'm not going to yeah. continue. I'm like you. Marks is the one he's a lot more forgiving usually. And I'll be like, no, I hated the pilot. I'm not watching this. You know, and he's like, give it a chance. I'm like, no. And so then he's he knows how to do it. He'll be like, fine, then I'm going to watch it sometime without you. And then it's like on the TV and I'm like, okay, fine. I guess I'll keep watching a little bit of it. It's not quite as bad. <laughs> I work with everything but American Horror Story. She won't watch that. No, I won't watch that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like we watched uh, like Will and Grace reruns and the pilot Will and Grace is oh very different from the rest of the episodes. Like you can tell they... Like, uh, oh, Jack, like the really flaming Jack was like, how does people know that I'm gay? Like he's trying not to be noticeably gay in the pilot, which is hilarious. Uh, oh, And like uh, he and Grace don't get along that well. And Karen doesn't know any of them except Grace yet. And then when oh. Grace and, and I'm sorry, when Karen and Jack meet, they don't like each other as much. They, like, they eventually like each other, but it starts out rough. And then they grow to like love each other pretty quickly, but it's just so funny because it's like this is not at all like how it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's wild! Any sci-fi fantasy? If I start watching it, I will almost. Oh, always... Haven! I watched the pilot and was like, I do not want to watch this show. It's terrible. And then like <laughs> he was, uh, he had me watch like episode I think maybe seven in the first season. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. You know, it was something along those lines. And mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the pilot, I just didn't care for. Now, one exception is that Netflix show Another Life, 
right? Oh, God. Yeah, I wanted to like that show so much because it had... uh, I tried watching it. uh, What's her name? Um, Katie Katie Sackhoff. Sackhoff, yeah. Uh, And it has uh, the guy, Taylor, uh, who plays uh, Superman now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved him on on Teen Wolf. He was great. And And then uh, the girl that played a gypsy on um, Flash. mm -hmm. Yeah, she was in there. I mean, the cast was great. God, that was a horrible waste of a show. I couldn't. So I watched like the first few episodes, then I skipped a few episodes, and I skipped again, and I got to the end. I'm like, does it get great at the end? And I'm like, it's a little bit better. But I don't think I want to go back and watch the rest of it. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> it really is a shame. You feel bad for the actors because, you know, they're so they're capable of doing so much better. Oh, yeah. Well, know? the production mm-hmm. quote was great. And, yeah. those, and uh, the actor who played, plays the hologram character is amazing, I thought. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, you know, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage, right? Yeah. Mm. But that's a neat <laughs> idea that you guys do with the pilot. I like that a lot. Yes, I think that's What great. other stuff do you do that's maybe a little different? Um, oh, everything is kind of different it, considering you do yeah. everything from music to TV. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I think we try to um, break up the kind of things that we're talking about, and also mm-hmm. to not only talk about newer stuff, but to talk about some older stuff too. Just kind of like whatever we're into right at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have a lot of guests on and give them space to kind of if there's like one specific thing that we're talking about, we we try to make that either the whole show or a lot of the show, but. You know, I think we have a circle of associates who are also like authors and or academics. And so I think that helps make the discussions kind of rich. We understand storytelling and we understand analysis. And um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, we like to have some writers on and talk about their creative process and things like that. And recently we did one of, one of my favorite episodes. Well, it was two episodes. We split it up, but we talked about the haunting of Bly Manor mm-hmm. and the turn of the screw, which it was based on and other adaptations of it. Cause there have been a ton. And we brought my friend on Aaron who has a PhD in, in literature. I was the only non PhD in that conversation. <laughs> so that was a little bit intimidating, but, uh, <laughs> but we got more into the like analysis aspect of that. Um, but sometimes I talk about stuff and I'm just like, I don't know, this made me feel really nice and I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's all it be- I mean, there are other layers to it, but ultimately things are entertainment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so like if, if it's saying something, but it's not entertaining you at the same time, it's kind of not doing part of its job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we also discuss a good mix of high and low brow. And I don't agree with the idea that there necessarily needs to be a, a big separation between literary and popular Amen. anything. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, and that's like people talk about guilty pleasures and I'm like, I have none. And they're like, yeah, oh, come on. Yeah. No, because I don't feel guilty about any of my pleasures. <laughs> I yes. mean, like, it's, if it's enjoyable, it's enjoyable. All my exactly. all my entertainment is unibrow. <laughs> Low brow, high brow, and <laughs> um, It has been yeah. frustrating with the pandemic to not get certain avenues of experiential stuff. Like we have discussed, if we see live plays or concerts, or I'd love to talk more about like museum experiences. But all of that is just totally off the table right now. So it's been a little bit more home entertainment centric yeah. lately. So why don't Sorry. you guys tell us a little bit about, let, let's start with KW, uh, tell us a little bit about your writing background, like why you got into writing and, and some of your recent works. 
Yeah. So I've been writing for years and years. I've probably been writing since I was a little kid, but I really got pretty serious about it. I was doing a nonprofit job and I had a month off which was unusual to take it all at once, but I, I did that year and I ended up writing a ton and I just decided I really need to continue pursuing this. And so I went and got a master's of English literature and not with a lot of creative writing in it. And then I was, I ended up after a while teaching uh, college English, but I wasn't still getting that creative element. Um, I did some freelance newspaper writing and stuff. And eventually after several more years, went to Seton Hill and did their MFA in writing popular fiction. And my thesis novel got picked up and published in early 2016 by uh, Dogstar Books, and that's called The Curiosity Killers. And um, it's science fiction, time travel, steampunk. It's a little bit of all kinds of stuff. So if you like historical, if you like murder mysteries, there's a little bit of that in it. There's a little bit of romance. There's a lot of adventure. It's got a lot. I, I owe a lot of homage to classic time travel stuff of the 80s. I was a big fan of Back to the Future and Quantum Leap, but I also love steampunk, and so there's an element of that in it. Before that, I had published quite a few short stories, and I did have uh, the first novel of an urban fantasy series published a few years before that. It's called The Red Eye. That publisher folded, so I'm currently looking for a new press to revive that series. And I'm working on something unusual right now that I'm sort of all of a sudden conceiving as a composite novel where it's a shared small town with a bunch of different stories, mostly horror stories set in the same town over different decades and different eras with different um, subgenres of horror and mystery. So that's cool. That's yeah. Yeah. So I just do a lot, a little bit of everything. My short stories tend to be more experimental and a little bit scarier and my long fiction tends to be a little bit more accessible and a little bit more, mainstream. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing lately while also trying to teach four college classes at once. And, um, yeah, it's got a lot. So, <laughs> Are you teaching uh, virtually or in person right now? Oh, vir virtually. Yeah. I, I got my PhD in 2020 right at the beginning of the pandemic. So uh, that was kind of stressful perfect timing. and perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. And so this, this school year, I've been teaching all virtually for a couple of different universities and teaching mostly freshman composition, a little bit of literature and some business writing. Nice. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, Carrie. Okay. Um, mine's not going to be as put together as that, <laughs> that pitch, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've, like most writers, I, I think I had a an early interest in stories and storytelling. Um, I loved to read as a kid, and I remember my sister and my neighbor and I would, like, write these short scripts and act them out and stuff like that. Um, but I think I didn't really get serious about writing until college, and I was a, an English major, but sort of too scared to really pursue writing. Um, and then immediately after... Well, not immediately after. Soon after college, I went into the Peace Corps and we got sent home early, which was interesting. Uh, but when I got home, I was sort of like, what do I do with my life now? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I had read and written a lot while I was in the Peace Corps because there's some downtime. And I just decided I really want to pursue something that I love and I was developing a love of writing. So the Peace Corps, when you come back, they have some agreements with different grad schools where you can 
get some financial help with with their programs and there were two English programs and one was in Georgia and one was at Seton Hill which at the time was sort of in my backyard I was from southwestern Pennsylvania and I sort of applied on a whim and I got in and luckily I was in KW's class so we had a lot of fun (laughs) and um after that I yeah I mean I really developed that love of storytelling and writing in grad school and finished my first novel there which was my thesis and um I self-published that in 2016 so a year after I graduated and since then I have I've tried to start a small press called Sky Forest Press but I got very busy in my personal life over the past couple years so it's fallen by the wayside a little bit but I'm looking to revamp that and and get more into that but uh, I've published a few novels uh, had some short stories published in other things mostly fantasy I do a little bit of sci-fi I love other genres and I'm sort of experimenting in some other genres right now but for for right now uh, focusing on fantasy for for the novels Awesome. Great. Hey, there's worse things in the world than having your personal life pick up and be pretty busy. <laughs> I'm like, more power to you, honey. <laughs> Good for you. See, both of you dabble a little bit in both hybrid and traditional. What do you, when you do a project or when you're thinking about a project, at what stage do you think about whether or not you want to do this indie or you want to do this traditional or at least try one or the other? And, you know, why do you lean one way or the other for a project? I know for me, since I haven't done as much indie as Carrie has, but I've gotten a little bit more into that, a lot depends on how experimental or strange the work is. I self-published a short story collection, and actually I did a couple of chapbooks first and then compiled all the chapbooks into one full-length short story collection. And I knew those were some of my darker, weirder stories that were a little bit harder to market to a specific publication and I felt like they they were similar tonally and I thought they would go well together in a collection like that and when I'm thinking about full-length novels that have a little bit more of a sense of adventure or I think of them as a little bit more I don't want to say wholesome but like if they just feel a little bit more like audience friendly of, of a wider swath of audience then I tend to start looking at publishers and I'm fortunate to know quite a few small presses like the editors and and things and I sometimes will start to think this would be really good for you know this person I think I might want to tell them about it as I'm working on it or whatever but I don't have any compunction about going ahead and self-publishing something if I feel like I don't even want to wait to have this go through the, the submission process I just want I just want it out there so those are usually my reasons for going indie yeah that makes sense I actually queried my thesis novel but it's epic fantasy which I think is a little bit of a hard sell um, because they're long and you're sort of automatically working with a series so and, you your, and your first probably... name isn't Brandon <laughs> that, yes correct <laughs> I should probably just change it to Brandon and yeah, so that that didn't get a, a, a lot of interest, and I ended up going indie with that. Um, so at this point, I'm really focusing on fantasy as my indie brand. All of my novels so far have been fantasy, either epic or I had a contemporary fantasy. 
I don't really call it urban fantasy because I, I don't feel like it it fully fits that. But uh, some of the other projects that I'm working on right now, I'm working on a mystery. I'm actually co-writing, co-writing a romance novel. And I try not to make decisions too early in the life of the project. But for those ones, they seem a little bit more mainstream. And I, I'm just keeping the option open if I want to go traditional with those. I might query those. I'm not going to let them languish. So if I don't get interest after six months or a year, maybe um, I, I can go ahead and and self-publish those. But yeah, I think for me, probably similar to Kathleen, it's about marketability. And if if something fits sort of neatly in the genre versus, oh, this is very weird. And it <laughs> combines, you know, epic fantasy with horror and, and all this stuff. So it's about set marketability i guess yeah it's nice to have that option to be like well you know it's not going anywhere i can just publish it myself (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, for sure when you're say trying to query one of your stories to traditional publishers is there a tip that you might provide you know if someone's listening right now and they're like they're in that process or going to query something that you might a big tip you might want to share with them well i always have like a a set query letter that's really adaptable. So get one that works and like have people look at it before you start using it. But then once you have it, it can be sort of a template that you then just sort of fill in with the basics of dear editors, my name is blah and this is my blah and it's X words long and it's not been sent anywhere else. And they don't need like a ton of information from you. It's especially Mm -hmm. if it's just a short story that you're querying. I've done so many short story queries over time. And I, it's keep it simple, keep it short, keep it direct, but also don't, you know, do mention publication credits if you have them, especially recent ones. And don't be afraid to brag about yourself a little bit, but also sound humble, professional, collegial, polished. And then one other piece of advice is don't have sour grapes about a rejection. Mm-hmm. Rejection is an opportunity. And I have lately been seeing a lot of people on public social media complaining when they get a rejection and just their whole Twitter feed is just, I'm awful and literary magazines are scary. And it's like, dude, if they looked you up, yeah. that's, you know, like, don't be like that. It's really unprofessional. <laughs> they, if if yeah. they were ever on the, if they turned you down now, but were like, well, you know, that person might have something. We'll keep our eye out for them later. But they see that, they're going to go, nope, yeah. don't want to work with them. You don't want to burn that bridge, right? right? Yeah. So. People, yeah. well, people, and... be careful what you put on social media. Exactly. <laughs> I think everybody needs to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Assume that your future, your current and future employers and any future children you might have will see it at some point. <laughs> you know, like, seriously. Yeah. But yeah. I think, too, it's not just about, it's not so much that I see a lot of people bad-mouthing a specific publishing entity, but they're bad-mouthing themselves, too. Oh, they do that like, to get attention. Like, uh, and that is really well, crummy. It's, I, it's 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 not a good look. It mm-hmm. I think of a rejection as a chance to think why it was rejected, but also to say to myself, it wasn't right for that venue for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and what can I do to either find a better venue or turn this into something different, uh, which is what I kind of inspired my current project. But I just don't, it's not personal. Nine times out of 10, like probably even higher, like nine and a half times out of 10, a creative writing rejection is in no way personal. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And even if it is, just pretend it's not, because it's just about <laughs> what they have space for, what fits in their publication, and timing, probably. So just let it go. Yeah. 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 Well, it just um, it really comes across as unprofessional and immature, I think. It's, yeah. It's, but I honestly, I think most people do it for attention, because if they go, oh, I'm horrible, then they get 100 people going, no, you're great. I love you. Yeah. Smiley face, heart emoji. I think social media has brought that out in some people. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really yeah. has. It's it's really encouraged some of the lesser versions of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it is an opportunity. There's so many small press out there to explore. Mm-hmm. So you have so many opportunities to explore. I mean, it doesn't have to be the big publishers. It's not like if the top three reject you, oh, I'll never publish anything ever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that some of the mindset is that they've got to be published by something super, super big or quote unquote reputable, or I've had some of my f- most fun experiences, both in creative and in academic writing with strange publications that I wouldn't have sought out if I hadn't just thrown something at the wall and seen mm-hmm. what happened. Well, um, and also and like, yeah, like when we used to do filmmaking with casting, mm-hmm. someone could come in and we're like, man that was a great actor. They're not right for this part, mm-hmm. but it's, it's so, I guess it's a rejection for this particular role, but we like, you know, we're put them at the front of the file. We want to call them next for this other thing. They'd be perfect. Yeah. For them. Yeah. You know, but, but now if they go on social media, and they, go, they're yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and yeah. Now you're you. at the back of the file, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but it's just like it, it, that when I was on the other side of it, and sometimes having to hire people or not hire people for something, that's mm-hmm. when I, I really could see, oh, you know, it really is not personal. Because sometimes you you might just not be right for what we're looking for right that second, but you could still mm-hmm. be awesome. Yeah. 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 I think it's really hard to keep in mind how subjective writing is mm-hmm. because it, it does feel personal when you get a rejection, but... It's- everyone likes different things too. And just because they, they might not have liked your work doesn't mean it's not good. It just means, you know, it didn't fit with the magazine or it wasn't to their style or something. And you could find a really great home for it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think, but it wouldn't fit in like, well, we need this one kind of feel, you know, this one Mm -hmm. thing to fit to slide into this slot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. and as much as I like it, if I put it in with all this other stuff, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb and it won't really work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't mean it's not good. It's just not going to fit in this slot I need it to right now. But now they exactly. see your name and then maybe next time they'll still they'll remember it. And Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which is why the follow up of that is don't write back after a rejection. Do yeah. not. Oh, unless they ask that? you to. Oh, man, people do that. People will, if they get rejected, even if the rejection is kind, people will reply and say why or they'll slam them. And I've not usually gotten a lot of negative rejections, but I have gotten it once years ago. I got one negative rejection and I just ignored it, deleted it, moved on. Most rejections are written in a business-like way. It's a form. And if, right. And if they ask for more from you, you can reply. But if they don't, do not write them back unless you're submitting something brand new for a different yeah. submission call. That's yeah. why I've been doing a film festival, directing mm-hmm. a film festival. And, and most of the time, you know, when they don't get accepted and stuff, it's, you know, they just don't get accepted. And, mm-hmm. and uh, but once 
I've had a few times where someone comes back and goes, well, why didn't it get accepted? I understand. Can you tell me? Did it? I'm like, dude, for one thing, I'm too busy to like mm-hmm. tell you mm-hmm. critique yeah. everything about your thing. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I got a lot of other people I got to work with. And, and there were times where he liked something, but he was trying to put together these blocks of films and there, there had to be kind of like a, a theme that kind of went through it. And this isn't going to fit anywhere and, or yeah. it was too short or it was too long. And it didn't mean it was bad. It was a mm-hmm. good short film. It just wasn't going to work for, you know, what he needed at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then no matter what I tell that person, they're not going to be happy with that answer. So yeah, like... I mean, it, right. rejection's hard yeah. for anybody, yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but never do anything like just immediately out of, just a knee-jerk reaction that you can't yeah. take back. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good lesson yeah. for life well, in general. <laughs> what I always tell people who get if they get bummed about reviews and stuff is like, just remember it's it's art. Art is mm-hmm. is you know open to uh, to everybody's different mm-hmm. lenses in life and stuff and what they like. There's not a single story in this world where you'll find 100 percent people love it. Right. Like even Star Wars, mm-hmm. no matter how much it sells, there's still a lot of a high percentage of people in our in our world that don't care for it or have never watched it well there have been times where like we've tried watching a, a movie or a tv show and i'm like look i can i can tell you yes the cast is good they're acting well i can tell the cinematography is good the writing is good i just don't like it i can't yeah, tell you yeah. why it just doesn't speak to me now i'm not gonna say it's bad because it's not bad right. it's yeah. not I mean, I can tell, you know, objectively, I can tell a lot of work went into this. People are very good at what they do, but it's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, that doesn't mean it's bad. And doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. You just can't like Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah. You literally cannot like everything. (laughs) (laughs) Can't watch everything. You can't watch everything. You can't read everything and you can't listen to everything. And it, you know, sometimes something just doesn't speak to you and it doesn't mean it's bad. Mm -hmm. So Carrie, I don't know if, did you say, do you have a tip? Did you say anything or? I did not. I'm not sure people should take tips from me about querying. (laughs) I would like to. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I feel like KW cover a lot of things and yeah, the main thing is not to take things personally. I guess my only other tip would be do your research because especially if you're looking for an agent, you don't want to just throw things against the wall. You want to be able to make sure this agent that you're querying actually represents the genre that you're writing in yes. and things like that. And w- one thing that I like to do is take the books that I know that I really like and see who those who is agent to those authors and sort of start from there. And the same thing with short stories, too. Just make sure you're sending it to an appropriate market and something that you would read, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So don't send your dinosaur erotica to a cozy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now I want to see if there's any such genre out there. There's got to be somewhere. That was a piece of advice that I heard from Jim Butcher at some talk he did that he, he, like quasi quote unquote stalked the agent of somebody whose work he liked mm-hmm. and then ended up getting to be their client. So, That's yeah. Right. So stalk your agents. <laughs> quasi, quasi. You missed quasi, that part. Quasi, quasi, sorry. 
Um, all right, so let's now let's switch to indie, and you both have experience in that. Also, so you know, someone who's going to try for to be an indie author or self-published, what's a tip you would, you would tell them? Something to uh, to watch out for or, or make sure they they work on. I I do have I don't really talk about this publicly too too much, but I do have a line under a pseudonym of romance novels that are just Kindle only. Um, and I don't promote them. I don't, I, they, that name does not have its own social media presence. I just threw them out there to see what would happen. And I knew they wouldn't fit under my normal brand at all. And one thing I would say is that if you do that, be expected to not sell very much because they <laughs> I thought you were going to so, say, and then they sold like hotcakes. No, 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 no. That so took a I hard think, left. I got to tell you. That's yeah, story. no. Well, and it's because I haven't done any promo at all. Um, and so I would say that the market for certain genres is very saturated. If you want to self-publish and become really big in a popular genre, you do have to do a lot of work to promote it and promote that brand. And I think if I did do that, it, they would do a lot better, and that's fine. But don't expect it's going to be this auto moneymaker that you can just then sit back and watch the coin roll in because it's not it's not going to right. so yeah regardless of how popular the genre is. i wonder if some people are out there thinking all i have to do is publish a few books and i can be independently wealthy because it, oh. it doesn't really work that way i think in the early no. days of amazon th there were a few people that did that at least in the short run yeah and yes not anymore because they got so much competition no. I was gonna say, there's just so <laughs> yeah. much out there i mean yeah. there's I, I i shudder to think of how much great stuff is out there that i'll never find Oh, there's tons. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, tons. it's just sad, but it's that's just the reality. Like, mm -hmm. you would probably absolutely love it, but you may never find it out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am terrible at marketing. <laughs> it's hard. Well, it's, it's, it's so easy, much easier to market someone else's, I think, for most people. It's weird. They kind of beat that whole promote yourself thing out of you in childhood. <laughs> and then you get to be an adult and they're like, Quit now bragging. go do it. Quit now bragging. go do that. Yeah. You know, your your livelihood depends on it. You know, and it's just, yeah. I think my piece of advice would be um, it's a good idea to sort of sit down before you release things and decide what you want your career to look like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like Kathleen said, probably don't expect you to be able to quit your job in the next month, you know, as soon as you release something. But with certain genres like romance, there are expectations of like very quick re releases and things like that. And, and you see, I think you see a lot of indie advice about, oh, you want something new on the market every 90 days, which to me is just wow, because I write fantasy that's, you know, 120,000 words long. It's very sweet. So that, yeah. Yeah. So that's not very possible for me. Although, you know, you can do it if you want to release novellas and short stories and things like that. So I think you just have to decide what's comfortable for you and don't, you know, don't try to mold yourself into someone who writes a whole romance novel every three months. And because you're just going to burn yourself out if you try to fit yourself into a, someone else's model. Know thyself, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. So you mentioned KW, um, KDP, which is, if people don't know, it's like whenever you're exclusive to Amazon and, yeah. and Kindle Unlimited. Mm -hmm. Neither of you suggest 
KDP or, or going wide or some kind of combo or something? What, what's your stances on those? Um, I've only used just Kindle and Amazon. And I know that's probably not great and, and you should diversify, but the Nook platform, I used to have a Nook. I still have it, but I just don't use it. And yet that platform died pretty quickly. Most people who have e-readers either have a Kindle or they've got some device that you can put the Kindle app on. Even iBooks is not as popular as Kindle. So if you want to go a little wider, the only thing that I would suggest adding personally is iBooks. But Carrie may have another opinion on that. I just do that because it's easier and it is the biggest market. So, Yeah, there are advantages to either KDP is cool because if people are, are enrolled in Kindle Unlimited, if you put some short stories out or the first couple, I think that my first two books are on Kindle Unlimited. So they can read those technically for free. They're paying their monthly subscription. That can be a, a really good way for people to discover you. Maybe they don't want to spend $5 on on your novel, but if it's free and they like it, you know, they might by the things you put out later. But also I there are advantages to going wide too. I publish through Ingram as well. So they're they distribute both print books and ebooks. And on the one hand, it's a little bit easier to get into indie bookstores because they Ingram is pretty reputable and they don't just want to buy stuff from like create what used to be CreateSpace, which is the Amazon publishing platform. But at the same time, your royalties go way down when you do that because you're adding a middleman. So you, you can definitely get better royalties just through Amazon. But it just I think it just depends on, you know, do you want to do a push to your local bookstores and try to get them to stock your stuff? Or do you want, you know, do you want to appeal to people who maybe don't want to buy stuff through Amazon right now? Um, or do you want that accessibility of Amazon? So it seems yeah. like whichever, whatever you choose, there's always a little bit of a gamble involved. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you'll, you'll never know what would happen if you've done it the other way instead. So you, you can, only, right. you can only just, I don't know, do what feels right, I guess. at the time. Yeah. Think about how much time you can devote to it as a project and uh, whether you want um, physical stock on hand for yourself too. That's what makes me with, with the romance line, just go with ebook only. I don't want them sitting around my house. <laughs> um, Are you sure these so, romance erotica? Saying, you know, I, mean, I, I read some romance. I think bad. No, it's not. A, it's just like, I, I put those out during the, the first months of the pandemic thinking, this is just going to be ebook because nobody's going to bookstores right now. So <laughs> yeah. that was more the, yeah. the reason. Yeah. No one's going to the bookstore and getting some coffee and hanging out there for a couple of hours, you know? Exactly. Well, at yeah. least they shouldn't be. They shouldn't <laughs> be. <laughs> let's, say, let's, let's phrase that a different way. They really shouldn't be right now. Mm-hmm. Romance is really popular in ebook form. Mm-hmm. Yes. Too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So slightly switch topics. Role-playing games. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I love role-playing games. And I know that, you know, Carrie, you were talking on your podcast recently about Critical Role. And then mm-hmm. I know KW told me that you do a podcast 
about uh, roleplay games. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a cast member. This is a show called The Cast Perilous, and it's an actual play RPG based in the low fantasy gaming system, which is semi-based on first edition D&D. And we've been doing that for over a year. I think we have uh, five player characters and then our GM. And there's several episodes out and more coming. And that's been a ton of fun. And I think that our GM producer tries to make it more like improvised collaborative storytelling more so than pure only gaming. Like there is a lot of storytelling element that all the players are bringing to the table. So that's been, yeah, it's really fun. And who's your character? Oh, my character is named Jolie Elderwood, and she is a kind of a rogue character. She likes money more than people, um, <laughs> but she does have a soft side because she's got this little little tiny kitten that she carries around in her pocket with her. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but cool. she's very much like the Anya character of the group. She's quite, uh, she just wants to go for the payday all the time. <laughs> is she afraid of rabbits? No, no. She's, she's a friend to all animals, but she's also kind of like, not terribly intelligent and just wants to brandish her sword a lot. So. <laughs> now, you know, someone ain't right in the head if they don't like bunny rabbits. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> our, our youngest daughter is a rabbit, so. Yeah. Oh. oh that's cute. <laughs> it's have, a very fun a... podcast. It sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We'll have to share the link on the show notes. Yeah. Too, We're a multi-species yeah. household. We have kitty cats and a bunny rabbit. So. Oh, that's <laughs> cute. And Carrie, what's your uh, yeah? What have you been doing with role playing games? Explain your use. role playing situation. Role, oh role no, play. <laughs> um, I actually only recently got into RPGs. I've wanted to for a while, but you know, sometimes it can be really intimidating. Yes. You know, <laughs> there it are a lot of rules. Start. I got in it through Marks, mm-hmm. and it was there's times it's a little scary. Yeah, Bye. yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, no, I, okay, she can back me. You're probably like me. I, I there's times I enjoy role playing and there's times if you're if I'm with a group that's like they're all a bunch of rules lawyers and they argue that and it takes a <laughs> half hour for each person to do a turn and yeah. and then they're arguing they're arguing no no if you add this up and this and no no and they can argue for 15 minutes I really just want to leave I mean and yeah, Mark yeah. knows I literally will put my head down and fall asleep and I say just wake me up when it's my turn he wakes me up I say what happened he did this, he did that, he did this, he did that, he did this, it's your turn. I say, okay, I did this, boom, I'm done in two, less than two minutes. Seriously, people, it's not that hard. Yeah, you know? no. <laughs> yeah. You're in a real-life crisis, you all be dead. Now. Yeah, see, you all be completely <laughs> useless. Like, you know, I, I, in two minutes, he recapped what they all did in the last 45, 50 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I decided what to do, I rolled, figured it out, and we moved on. Yeah. You know, yeah, so exactly. those situations, I don't enjoy role-playing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's one where it's not quite as rules heavy, you get to enjoy your characters and tell a bit of a story and people are more cooperative and not like trying to screw people over, mm-hmm. then it's a lot more fun. So I'm assuming you're probably a little bit like that too. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I love the cooperative aspect of it. My old roommate got me into Critical Role, which was really fun. I like it from a storytelling aspect, but at the same time, as I was watching it I was learning more of the rules which is really cool and then I actually at the beginning of the pandemic I was like I really want I really want to play D&D like I'm just putting together a group so and I'm one of those people who has to be like really comfortable with the with the group if I'm playing a game I don't like playing with strangers (laughs) so I 
asked a, a couple of my friends who were also new to it. So it was sort of a like, okay, we're all going to come together and like learn how to play and there's going to be no pressure. We're going to ask about rules all the time. It's like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And my, my friend Erica DMs for us and she's been playing for, for longer. So she can kind of guide us through those. And I think she lets us fudge some stuff. <laughs> As <laughs> she's it should like, be. Oh. Yeah. She's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll let you do that. <laughs> So it's, it's definitely more about having fun. And like right now in the pandemic, it's about human connection as well. <laughs> yes, it really is. And yeah. I'm, I'm having trouble getting into it more on the computer like that. Uh, for me, it's like, it's so weird not to like be like sprawled out on the sofa or on the floor and I've yeah. baked brownies and, you know, <laughs> like I've, I've yeah. always been one to like, whenever we'd have a role playing session, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to bake something. And then I make something <laughs> and then make sure we have enough things to drink. And it's like this big yeah. social thing for me more so than the actual game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and, sure. And so it's, it's a switch. I just did it for the first time online and Marks was the GM and I was just like, it was so hard audioly because like I insisted that we stay in the same room like I can't be in the separate room from you because I'm gonna need your help you know so I was like everybody just deal with the echo I don't care you know (laughs) I didn't I only knew one person besides Marks and this whole group I I was playing a magic character which I've never played a magic character Mm -hmm. before I never played these rules before and I never did it on computer before like I'm in the same rule oh it was mutants but yeah I have played that I, I loved um we did a Mutants and Masterminds years ago, and I created a character. It was so cool that I literally decided I would like to put her in novels. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I spent well, probably a little bit too much time developing that character <laughs> for that game. Part of the fun. <laughs> you guys should think... try sometime. I mean, play the games you want to play, of course. But if you're ever curious about other games, cool game system is like Fate. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. and also the Apocalypse. Oh, Apocalypse, powered apocalypse. by Apocalypse, I think it's called Apocalypse World. Yeah, Apocalypse World. Yeah, yeah. Th- those and that's that rule system is used in a bunch of other games. I did like the Mutants and Mastermind. This one we did was kind of fun, but the one we did before, where you and I both had different, we we didn't realize we had created separate character characters separately that like basically were the absolute and antithesis of one another i mean like <laughs> i all of a sudden we were sitting next to each other and i just busted out laughing and said you know my character's good has to like by nature has to hate your character and <laughs> he was like all corporate and i was all like for the environment and wanting to take down these big corporations and i'm like so basically your character's my character's enemy so then he and i decided we were gonna have fun with it and so we were like having arguments like and his character's flirting with me and i'm like trying to argue with him and it it was hilarious. I mean, it was it was oh. literally, I think, the most fun I've had, except that one time I played a Wookiee. That was pretty cool. <laughs> That's, I, yeah, I've played a lot of different games of the years. I've done, um, I was doing a Space Finder game for a while last year. I kind of fell off of that. Um, I played Vampire. Uh, I was playing Dark Heresy for several years at a time, and then the pandemic shut that game down. So, yeah. Gosh, I, and actually, Carrie and I were talking about starting a fiasco campaign, but we haven't managed to figure out how to do yes. that. Is there a type yet. of character you all gravitate towards? Because I played for the first time, I because he needed someone to do it. I played this magical character, and I think I kind of sucked at it. But I've oh. always played like combat-oriented characters, and yeah. that's just something I've always just been good at. So, is there one that you all kind of gravitate towards, or do you just like to mix it up? 
What is your current character, Carrie? What is she more like? My current character is a warforged monk. So they're actually non-binary. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, they don't understand gender. Uh, but their name is Cart. And yeah, I, much like Julie, I gravitate toward combat stuff. And I figured that out through video games because we've, I know <laughs> Kathleen and I have talked about this. I just like to get a big sword and hit things. Thank and, you. <laughs> and you know, if you can ever in real life, just grab a big stick and hit stuff, it makes you feel a lot better too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So my character right now is a monk and I'm probably going to take a level in barbarian. So we'll see what that, Ooh. what comes of that. But I've experimented with creating a few more characters. And yeah, I just always am like, I want to hit things. I want a sword. Yes. And <laughs> I don't really deal with the magic aspect of things. <laughs> and see, I like to play, I this rogue character is a little unusual for me. Although she gets by with like her street smarts and stuff. But like, um, she's a little bit more fighty than most. But mostly I like to play really nerdy, magical characters or if it's in a contemporary setting like a hacker or something who may not be always that powerful in a fight but they're going to be the one to get you in the building or is has high dexterity or something so they can sneak around when I played vampire I like to play um, toreadors who were the artistic ones but they also could do like hacking and a little bit more negotiation skills and stuff oh that's cool yeah, see, cool. I like to do the snarky, smart-alecky, like to hit things. <laughs> but the neat thing about the role-playing is, though, that, I mean, you need a variety of those characters. Because if everybody right. is just like, I like to go be a smart-aleck and hit things, it's just not as good yeah. a campaign, right? I mean, no. Yeah. And so you need to have, like, all these different types of characters to really kind of balance it out. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what makes it fun. Yeah. We, I, my characters get into not arguments, but I'm always, I always like want to go punch things and the other party members are like, wait, we have to interrogate this person. Do not kill him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a woman after my own heart. <laughs> so, as authors playing role playing games, have you found anything from your role playing game experiences that have helped you in your writing? I have trouble writing combat, so playing more RPGs, even if I'm not a combat-heavy character, is actually helpful. And yet you want to make sure that your fight scenes, if you have them in your book, don't read like there's dice rolling on the side of the page. I've read <laughs> fantasy novels that seem like, oh, you're just writing down your RPG campaign. <laughs> That's not neat. So uh, you need to be inspired. You just don't want to copy yeah, it. Yeah, you don't want to copy it. So I think... I think that plays into it, but I also think the reverse happens where I like a much more story-driven gaming experience than some people do. Um, so if it is too fight-heavy without a lot of plot, I get real... I'm like you, Julian. I'm like, Ugh, I'm going to go knit over here and just tell me when it's my turn. <laughs> I like the fighting, but I, I yeah. like the balance of the fighting and the storytelling, but I just like to, to keep moving because if, if, exactly. yeah, if people are just going to sit around and argue about rules and math, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm the Get same back way. To something yeah. happening, or 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 it's a case where the party is too big, yeah. and that really makes it take forever to get around. Like if you have your initiative board and it's going to take you twenty minutes to get to your second turn, I'm going to be in my phone, or I'm going to be knitting, yeah. or just like texting someone because I'm not engaged. So yeah, it just needs to move a little See, faster. You're much more productive. I just fall asleep. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, I haven't brought 
my RPG experience into novel writing too, too much. Um, probably because I just haven't had a lot of drive during the pandemic. So I've only really started to like sit down and, and start writing stuff again this year and late last year. But I think, yeah, it's going to help me with combat a little bit just to to get those beats down because it's not combat is not my strong suit in writing. But I think also it's it's opened me up plot wise a little bit just in terms of I I'm not someone who needs to outline every single page or, or chapter or whatever. I kind of have a broad outline, but I like some of the randomness of RPGing, like, um, you know, if you roll a one and then you've got to roll the D100 to see, and the DM uses one of those charts to be like, what consequence is going to happen? You know, (laughs) I think it's just, it's sort of a reminder to keep myself open to, okay, we're not just following the one through plot. We're going to have some complications here and we're going to insert some, some NPCs and different things like that. So I think it's just made me think about storytelling in a broader way. Yeah, you got to roll with the punches, so it teaches some flexibility. Yes, yeah. yeah. Roll. Roll with the punches. <laughs> I, I totally meant to do that. <laughs> All right, well, awesome. It's been great talking to you both. Yes, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Before Thanks we... for having us. Yeah, thank you for being on. But before we go, though, tell everybody where they can find you online. You can find me at com, And I'm at Gessner on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr, which I don't use all that often. But, yeah, I'm always available to chat about cool pop culture stuff. <laughs> And I'm on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter, and my website is KWTaylorWriter.com. And you can also find our podcast has its own Twitter account. Is that? Oh, yes. I was going to say, don't forget PauzPop. I forgot about it. Twitter at PauzPop Podcast. Yeah, it's the Twitter. (laughs) Say that five times fast. Yeah. I think think we try to do positively pop culture for all of the things, so that's our email, but then it wasn't available for Twitter, so... (laughs) But yeah, check out our show and and your show is awesome and we're so honored to be mm-hmm. here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, this is Jeff and Francis. We are from Super Geeked Up and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Kathleen and Carrie. Check out the show notes for links to their podcast, websites, and Twitter handles. And don't forget, you can find Genretainment on Spotify, Stitcher, or likely any of the other podcast players out there. You can also find archived episodes at markspile.com. And any day now, we should have a new genretainment.com site up. Well, that's it for today's genretainment. Until Until next next time. time. Ben Monkey.